and welcome to the SBP podcast, The Voice of Mobile Film. I'm Susie Botello, your host, and you're listening to episode 48. Hi there, welcome to the world of mobile film. Hope you're all having a terrific day. Are you ready for the tour? Our guest this week is John Woosley. He's going to take us on a tour through his experience shooting and editing his movie, Alex and the Firefly, which he shot with a smartphone. He made a 34-minute film, but we asked him to cut it down to 15 minutes for a special screening and presentation during the International Mobile Film Festival coming up on April 27th and 28th in San Diego. We went through all the doors and the windows of the process from pre-production to production and finally to post. The film is a teen love story set in a special time that most of us remember just before our cell phones got smart. <laughs> and if you don't remember when that was, then that's actually okay because you're going to get a lot from this podcast. I just mentioned our film festival and that's actually taking place in April. But I wish to really give a big shout out to our sponsors because we're really grateful to them. And some of them are actually collaborating in the planning of our film festival this year. So basically, they rock. Red Giant, San Diego Real Estate Veterans.com, Blackbox.global, Swords and Circuitry Studios, Film Convert, and Grip and Shoot. We also have news coming soon that will be happening a lot over the next few weeks as we get closer to this year's exciting 8th Annual International Film Festival in San Diego. Wow, right? I also want to thank everyone who's been with us through the years. There are so many. I launched the film festival from an idea way back in 2009, so it's been 10 years for me playing in this field, and I love every moment. If you and I, that's you, uh, and I ever meet, I have many stories that I can share with you. We're talking 10 years worth of stories. <laughs> now, that's actually our theme this year, by the way, stories. So are you ready to take the tour? Let's go and talk with John, shall we? Oh, uh, watch your step. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the SBP podcast. I am here with a special guest. His name is John Woosley. Am I pronouncing your name right? Yes, he did pretty good. Woosley. Woosley. Um, so John is from Kansas City, and uh, he was just starting to tell me something I thought was really interesting. Um but the, uh, why don't you share that a little bit with us really quick, and then I'll tell everybody why you're a guest on this podcast, which is pretty awesome, too. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, so um, before uh, before we started the intro there, you were asking me, was I from Kansas City, Kansas, or is Kansas City somewhere else? Where is Kansas City? Kansas City um, straddles the state line between Kansas and Missouri, and I actually live on the Kansas side in a little town called fairway ah. why is it called fairway that's pretty cool yes 
And so um, there's this. So there's Kansas City that stretches across two states, right? That's correct. That's pretty. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, do you just kind of play games, like maybe as a teenager, and go, "I'm going to a different state. Watch," and just step over the line or something? Or, I mean, you literally can do that. There's a there's a street called State Line <laughs> that straddles the two states, and you can literally bounce back and forth. That is cool. Do you do it with a skateboard or anything or just? <laughs> I, I'm too old for that, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. You know, wait till you get to San Diego. <laughs> we have people right. of all ages on skateboards here. <laughs> um, well, uh, to our listeners, I wanted to let you know that um, that the reason we're talking to John outside of being a really awesome, super nice guy um, he is a filmmaker, and uh, he's going to be in our film festival uh, because we're doing a special screening of a wonderful little film uh, that he made. It's called Alex and the Firefly, or did I get that wrong? That's absolutely right. Okay. Um, and if the name sounds really cool, um, you know, this is one of those films where the title is really cool, but the film that goes and the story that goes along with it is actually really cool, too. Um, I think that uh, on the poster, uh, it says there's a there's a line on there, kind of a, not really a synopsis, but a slogan almost, right? It says, uh, first love changes everything. And um, I'd like to ask you, John, to go ahead and take over now for a little bit and just share with our listeners. I mean, you shot this with an iPhone and you also edit, edited this film with an iPhone, right? I did. Yes. Yeah. And the film, uh, I know I'm, I, you had to shorten it a bit for, for the screening, but originally it was like 34 minutes long, um, which is quite a doozy <laughs> to have to edit that on uh, on your phone. So share with us a little bit about who John is um, as, as a filmmaker or what got you into filmmaking and then, you know, a little bit about what made you decide to tell this story uh, using your iPhone. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been, like many filmmakers that I'm sure you've talked to, I've been interested in filmmaking in all my life. And when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13, to date myself, I guess, it was probably like 2000, 2001 or something. Uh, coincidentally, the same period of time this film takes place in. Uh, but, you know, that was right around the time that digital cameras started coming on the marketplace and, you know, the internet was booming everything. You could find any information you wanted on the internet and um, internet speed started picking up. People started um, sharing how they were using digital cameras to make movies. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting because now, you know, it's it's, it's not just that I, I know I want to make movies and that's what I want to do, uh, but I know that it's actually possible that as, you know, 12 year old, if you know, if I can convince my parents to buy said camera, you know, if I had the camera, there is the technology, you can buy the software and you can, you can make and edit movies at home using 
digital technology. That's like a game changer, right? And it was a game changer for everyone. And for me, that's what like first made it really possible for me to do that. And so, you know, as a kid, I was making little short films and uh, various links and um, kind of experimenting uh, using the technology. And then I ended up going to University of Kansas to their film school um, for undergrad. And um, there I made a feature film called Angel of Music um, while I was in school. Uh, When I went to school, as a freshman and sophomore, you could not take production classes, which I thought was silly because, you know, I felt like I already knew a lot. I already done a lot. So why couldn't I take class? And that's the rule, whatever. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to use my time in school to make my own film to teach myself. So that's what I did while I was in school. And then um, after school, I graduated in 2009 and we had this lovely recession, <laughs> as you'll probably recall. Um, so terrible time to find a job in the industry. Um, I went out to California, did grad school for a year. It didn't work for me. It wasn't the path I wanted to pursue. Um, I ended up moving back to Kansas City around where I'd gone to school um, to be with uh, now my wife. And, um, you know, I took a different path career wise. I decided I didn't want to be a starving artist. That was not any interest to me. I don't think anybody Uh, really goes into that as I'm going to be a starving artist. (laughs) No, but there's some people that really try to like grind it out. And, you know, for me, I knew like what I really wanted to do was make films and no one's going to say, you know, Hey, I'm going to hire you to make a movie. Yeah, but you were going to, you wanted to follow your passion though, right? Yeah, I wanted to still do it and I wanted to have control over what I was doing. So I went a different path professionally, but continued to do um, work on, in that space. So I, I worked on a kind of a web series with a friend of mine. Um, We did about eight episodes of that um, and that last for a couple of years um but it was really like several years um before i made another film just you know obviously it's very time consuming and costs a lot of money it's, it's the most expensive hobby what year you know, was that can... that you were making the the web series um so that was like around uh, we started in 2011 through 2013 cool 12 or something like that yeah so we were trying to we we're trying to sell it as a t- as a tv series um, kind of a reality series and we had an agent and we're pitching it around to different places for a while, but, um, no one was buying. So we just decided, you know what, we're just going to make it ourselves. Um, and we did, we made eight episodes of it and got a number of viewers and just, um, the partner I was working on with it, we just decided, you know, after two years, we kind of wanted to take it in different directions. Uh, so we kind of, stopped and parted ways and obviously we're still friends but um show show wise we we stopped making episodes of the show and so flash forward a few years later in like 2015-16 and I started writing again and I wrote a script that I liked um and I was working with a friend of mine that I met in California uh when I was out there at Chapman who had produced a couple of my movies out there and we were kind of kicking the story back and forth a little bit and she gave me some notes and I like went back to rewrite the script. I'm like, I'm just not invested in these characters. Like I like this, but I don't really like them enough to, I'm not invested enough to to write another draft of this. 
you know, so I started thinking like, I want to tell a story. Like, you know, when you think about writing, everyone always says, write what you know. So I'm like, what do I know? <laughs> what experiences do I have that I could leverage into a movie that would be enjoyable that I would want to watch that other people would want to watch, you know, that I'm not just making a movie to make a serious dramatic movie that I think I should be making, but something really that's entertaining. So, you know, I, I, that's what kind of led me to kind of call upon some experiences me and some of my friends had growing up to tell a coming of age uh, love story, if you will. And, you know, the iPhone side of this is around the same time, you know, um, I started reading about um, how this feature film called Tangerine was shot on an iPhone. I was like, oh, that's really cool. You know, it's not just cool because it's shot on an iPhone, but it's like, here's a successful movie with people that, you know, have access to all kinds of equipment. They don't need to be shooting on iPhones, but they are. And this movie like got into Sundance and won a bunch of awards. And so I started researching like, okay, what, you know, it's not, they didn't just use an iPhone, right? They didn't just turn on the camera app and start recording, right? There's other things they use. There's other equipment they use. So I started learning about that and reading about that. And I was like, oh, it's, it's all really interesting. It's really cool. All this stuff is like really attainable technology. And, you know, I got excited the same way I got excited when digital cameras came out and this whole idea of being able to put um, video from your camera onto your computer and got excited in the same way. And that's kind of what led me down the path of, you know, can I actually do this? Can I make a movie on an iPhone? You know, I long winded answer to your question. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is fantastic because I'm listening to your story and I'm in, there's all these things coming up, which is going to lead into more questions and take this more in depth for our listeners. Um, Like for, for one thing, uh, you know, obviously, and the one thing that I personally know, um, and it just seems to be, you know, uh, confirmed with everybody that I speak to uh, in these, you know, in, in the podcasts and in person, um, and that is that filmmakers in general do like challenges. And I think that uh, you were talking about Tangerine and people who were already, they have the equipment, they have access to cameras and things like that, but they decide to go and do this on a phone. I think the reason they do that is because they find it uh, like a new challenge, like that new exciting feeling that you felt when digital cameras came out and then the iPhones came out or the, you know, this, this whole thing about making movies with iPhones. And so, um, and so I think that's where, where you've, that whole part of the story fits in because you got, uh, you love the challenges. And so that leads me to a few questions. Uh, this film, uh, you know, when you see this film, the quality of the film, the film production itself, um, you can't tell that this was, you know, a typical film that you normally see shot on a phone. It has a very cinematic feel to it. And what, what I mean by that is that the, the framing is great um, and that you can tell that the director, and that was you, right? Yes. Uh, put a lot of care and thought into each shot and the moving shots were smooth and so forth. Why don't you share a little bit about, also, you had a lot of outdoor scenes. Uh, you had 
you had your characters on bikes and things like that. Share a little bit about that aspect of the filmmaking part. And because that, that, those things I'm sure were quite challenging for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so interesting about shooting with an iPhone. So not only was it a challenge, but, um, I am not a cinematographer. I don't consider myself mainly a cinematographer, but at the same time, I feel like, um, you know, I, I, I reread, uh, Rebel Without a Crew, uh, Robert Rodriguez's book about making El Mariachi and which he was basically like a crew of one. Right. So he pulled his resources and, and invested in as few people as possible to get the most out of them. And I was like, okay, you know, I've limited time, limited resources. I'm going to fund this myself. I'm not going to go through a bunch of fundraising and oh, a bunch of people like, I'm sorry, this movie didn't make any money. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, in, in that spirit, I wanted to shoot the film myself. Um, you know, I, I have worked with some great cinematographers. Um, so I felt like I had enough knowledge to, to shoot it myself and that we could pace the shoot at a speed that was comfortable to me to, to get things looking good and, and, and make it look, as you said, cinematic. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's important listeners know kind of what goes into this, you know, what you can use on the iPhone. The first is, um, what do you actually shoot application wise? There's a great application called Filmic Pro, which is what they used on Tangerine. And it's what I use because it gives you the Mac, it, it kind of hacks the camera. So you get all the controls, um, that you don't normally have access to on the stock camera app from the iPhone. So controlling the shutter speed and the frame rate, which are important to get that cinematic look because you want to be shooting at 24 frames per second, which is what you see in movies, right. In the, in the theater. And you want to have the shutter speed at one forty eighth, right. Which is the shutter speed or one forty six, sorry, that you want to see, um, kind of matches the, the motion you would see, um, from a cinematic camera. Which so it gives you control. That smooth look. Yeah. It gives you that smooth look and something you're used to seeing. Cause like when you shoot with the iPhone, stock application mm-hmm. um you're gonna see like 60 frames per second which is like very smooth looking like that that's you know that's how you know you're looking at a, a video shot on a camera is because of the the frame rate is just it's so smooth it's it's not like what you see in a movie it's not that cinematic feel um so you know there's there's things like that there's lenses you can get lenses to go on the camera so one of the things i did was um, there's a company called Beastgrip, which makes this great rig, which allows you to take your phone and attach it to a tripod or, you know, any kind of rig, which is important because you want to stabilize the camera, um, and add some flexibility they don't normally have just with your phone case itself. So you get the ability to put it on a tripod. You can add microphones or lights or things like that right onto the, the iPhone itself. Um, they sell a adapter that allows you to put 35 millimeter lenses on your camera. So the same kind of lenses you would put on a cinema camera, you can put on your iPhone. So it allows you to achieve like that, um, the depth of field that you would see in, you know, in that you're familiar with from close-ups where the, the background's all blurry, right? You can get those same kind of effects on the iPhone. 
And we're not so we talking used... uh, just for our listeners. I'm sorry. Um, I just because they're, I can see they're they're visualizing all of this and they're probably thinking iPhone X or something like that. But you shot it on an iPhone seven. Yes, iPhone seven. Yeah. So, but all of these things still work for all of the iPhones. So that's why I like this kind of these kind of companies because they make their um, their add-ons. Uh, pretty universal. So because, you know, the iPhone comes out every year and they had to redesign their products, it would be a nightmare. It gets to be so, quite expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, the other thing is lenses. So you can buy lenses to go on the, the camera. So one or the iPhone, one of them is the, is an anamorphic lens and there's several companies that sell these now. So it gives you that really nice wide, uh, aspect ratio, the same aspect ratio, a lot of films use. Um, so that's really nice. And then there's other lenses that can allow you to get closer to your subject without needing like a 35 millimeter lens. So lots of things that go into getting that cinematic feel. So it's not just an app. It's not just, it's, it's all these things put together that make up the, the rig, if you will, to shoot the film. And then in terms of, you know, everything else is pretty much the same as any other film. It's just, just a different tool, right? You still need lights, you still need to work with locations. You still need to have permits and insurance and uh, good sound recording and all these other things that go into, you know, into the movie. The only difference is the tool you're using, right? Which is an iPhone instead of a cinema camera. And with the B script, it's also a stabilizer. Right? It is, yeah. And there is also a stabilizer built into the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, so Filmic Pro gives you the ability to turn that on or off, which helps. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because for me, this was my first time shooting, you know, a real film on an iPhone. And so it was kind of a, a learning curve for me as well. And sometimes all this stuff just gets kind of frustrating because it's like, you've got all these different things, like you're kind of cobbling them together (laughs) to make something that it's not really meant to be, but it can be, um, and you can make it work, but it can be frustrating at times too. Like the 35 millimeter adapter was a giant pain in the ass. I'm not sure if I can say that, but (laughs) it was, um, would never use that thing again. Um, unless they've, you know, they've made a new version of it. I don't know if it's any better, but it's just, you're shooting through. If you think about how many panes of glass you're shooting through, Mm -hmm. you know, a lens itself has, glass in the front and glass in the back. And then this adapter has glass in the front and glass in the back. And then your iPhone has a lens that has glass. And so you're shooting through all this glass, you're losing all this light for a, a small incremental gain, right? If, if you really need all this, shoot with a cinema camera, right? I, I think next time, you know, I wouldn't use that adapter, just use the lenses that, you know, are, are easier to work with. Yeah, and, and of so course, learning experience. of course, actually, I should mention that even though you shot a lot of films outside, there are some indoor scenes and there are scenes at night in bedrooms and things like that. So mm-hmm. you really did need to, I can only now imagine um, what you had to do with the lights. You really had to up the lights, huh? Yeah, so I mean, outdoor scenes are the most um, friendly to an iPhone because the iPhone is... Um, it doesn't have great sensitivity to low light situations. So you need a lot of light, um, which you, you wouldn't think because when you use your camera app, uh, you know, it seems like you can shoot anywhere with plenty of light, but what it does is it really adds a lot of grain to the image. So if you want the image to look really nice, you need a lot of light. So outside is easy. You don't need really much modification at all or if anything, it's really about choosing the right time to shoot. So shooting like 
around sunup or sundown to get a nice look. Um, in our case, we had some overcast days, so that's easy because you don't, you're not really dealing with the sun at all. And then uh, indoor scenes are, are challenging. And so, you know, one piece of advice that I've read and give others is like when you're shooting a smaller independent film where maybe you don't have a lot of resources is to keep the frame small. So don't shoot giant indoor scenes if you don't have the ability to light it. Now, I broke my own rule a couple of times. Um, you know, we had big scenes, uh, big dance scenes and some big scene at a bowling alley where we did show a lot of the background. And I wish, you know, some of those scenes, I wish we had more ability to light. I think they turned out fine. But, you yeah, know, if we had the means, is... we could have had better lighting across those those really wide scenes. Yeah. The scenes that were interior house scenes were really easy to light. So those those looked really nice, I think. Well, you do have to establish the setting of where where your characters are, or what the, where the story is taking place, even if it is only just a few seconds, though, you know? Yeah, and there's, yeah, you do, right? And there's ways, um, yeah, if it, if it can be brief, yeah, you can definitely do that with, with a few lights. Um, there's, there's tricks you can use. Um, there's always stock footage you can use to supplement things you can't show very well. Um, but for us, you know, we didn't have a huge light kit cause I wanted everything to be very portable, easy to get around. I wanted all the lights to be able to be operated by batteries. So we didn't have to plug anything in anywhere. What did um, you, what did you use for lights by the way? Just, so there's a, um, I think they're Chinese brand called Young, Young, I don't know how to pronounce it, Young, Young, Yo, Young, Yo or something like that. Um, <laughs> so they sell some very, I'm, some I'm, different I'm models of lights. Uh, that, that film with uh, Mike Myers. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've got to be careful how we say this. But uh, yeah, maybe you can send the link because that's yeah, something yeah. that a lot of people uh, in mobile filmmaking don't talk about i mean there's a few out there but th there's not enough yeah so these are led light panels so you can they're very flexible in terms of you can um you can crank them all the way to maximum brightness you can dim them you can change the color temperature of the light um cool. so a lot of flexibility there and they run off batteries which is great and i never i never ran out of battery i never even have to change the batteries in the lights which is amazing wow. and they also come with remotes so you can you know, turn them on and off easily with the click of a button between shots. And they're very light and easy to move around. Um, now, we only had three or four of them. I wish we had like 50 of them because, <laughs> you know, they're smaller lights. So they yeah. work well for close-ups and the, you know, smaller scenes. Um, you obviously need huge lights to light up very wide spaces, which we didn't have. Um, we did have an extra light, like in the, the scenes in... Um, we had a scene in the church where there's a, a dance going on or a school, if you will. And, uh, you know, we had some, we just got some Home Depot LED lights to just kind of raise the overall ambience of the entire room. Um, cause like I mentioned, the iPhone is very sensitive to low light situations. So if you're going to crank the ISO all the way down, so that means like the sensitivity of the sensor is not picking up very much light at all to keep that grain really low, yeah. then you need a lot of brightness in the room to, to expose the image. 
Yeah, and so it's we better. Had to it's better to have more light in the in the scene while you're in production that you can also, you know, once you're in editing, you can you can tone that down a little bit if you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Better exactly. than not enough, because then there's nothing there for for you to play with. <laughs> yeah, not really. I mean, there's a the iPhone has a little flexibility, but not a whole lot in the image to recover if, if you over or underexpose. Yeah, yeah. If it's too hot, it's the same problem. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, um, and also, really quick before uh, I jump on something else, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you captured the the audio. The audio was good too. <laughs> Yada, I wish we had done better. Well, so there's um, always that. <laughs> no, no, I think it turned out great, but it was a hassle. So one thing, so I had a, um, a Rode uh, mic mini, which plugs right into the iPhone and could go in the hot shoe mount of the B-Script Pro is what we used to record the audio. And that works well enough in rooms where there's not a lot of echo. Um, it, it worked, I say well enough. I guess it worked about 40% of the time. Um, but we, we did have a lot of scenes where we had big rooms or we had um, we knew we were going to add in audio later or we were filming outside where characters were talking with the wind like blowing really bad. I mean, we had some park scenes where there was a guy on a lawnmower the entire time. just sounded terrible. Um, but I've done a lot of ADR on my films. Um, most of them I've done ADR on. I'm not afraid to do it because I know how to do it. Um, and it's really not that complicated. So we ended up doing ADR for a lot of the scenes to get the audio sounding really good. And we actually used the same microphone. We just did it in, a, in more of a studio-like setting so right. we could capture really clean dialogue. And, and that way it matched as far as because you're using the same mics. Yeah, so it matched the other scenes. And we had all the actors recording on the same microphone. So, you know, it matched in the scene. I mean, it mixed really well. So you, I mean, most people don't know. I mean, you can't tell that there was any kind of audio recording done right. outside of the scene. Interesting. So, uh, and you were recording straight into the mic. Now you have you have uh, a good amount of dialogue in your movie. Did you ever have any syncing uh, issues when you were recording straight into the phone? So actually. Um, no, we did not, not from what we recorded live. Uh, so what we did was this part of the filmmaking process did happen, I guess, off of the iPhone. Um, but, uh, we had like, uh, I used, um, my computer. There's a free program called audacity, which is a sound editing program. Mm-hmm. You may even use it for this, <laughs> for this podcast. Well, and but, it's um, free too. So and it's free and it works really well. So we just imported all of the audio from the edited scenes. And then we had the actors record their lines as they listen to them back. So that's what I found the best way to do it. So they hear a line, they say a line, they hear a line, they say a line, et cetera. And then we go back through and do a pass to line everything up. Um, and if it doesn't line up, we do it again. And you just keep doing it until you get all the recordings. Uh, so everything matches and you're looking to match, not just the, the cadence, but the performance, or in some cases, improve the performance. Um, yeah. And most importantly, make sure everything syncs up. But you've got, you know, you've got the audio cue um, from the sound, and you've got the, um, the the visual, which is a waveform you can see on the computer screen. 
Um, so you, you got some things that help you, but there were some times we shot some stuff where it was really windy outside and, you know, only thing we could do is just kind of guess <laughs> what the actors were saying because we couldn't hear anything at all because uh, some of the sound was Can was you mo- monitor the sound while you were recording? Um, you can. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know what's no, going I'm... on. I mean, I could, you know, I could see that it was recording, but I, I never listened at the same time. Okay. Because yeah, um, when I shoot, when I shoot, I use, um, I use a, a, a boom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use the, because my, the iPhone that I use actually still has the jack, the phone jack, I mean, uh, the, phone yes, jack, the audio jack. Yeah. But even if you don't, you can get the, uh, I forgot what it's called, the adapter so that you can, you can attach it, um, through the lightning port. And, um, yeah. and I use the XLR, um, you know, cable through the iRig and by using their app, um, for recording the video, you can actually monitor the, the audio that you're recording, Mm -hmm. um, which makes a huge difference because I was recording video, like say, you know, like during our film festival or comic con or places like that. And it, it comes in handy to be able to hear it. Um, but I, the reason I was asking about the syncing is because I've talked to filmmakers who who swear that you can't uh, record uh, audio directly on the phone because uh, as you're recording, you're having sync issues later in post-production. Mm, I don't know. I had yeah. no problems. <laughs> there you go. So I hope they're listening. <laughs> I hope they're listening too. I had no problems and I didn't even listen to the audio while we're shooting it, so. Yeah, so so awesome. I love no, it. No problems. <laughs> now, I want to ask you something. You you were shooting uh when you were shooting the bike scenes cuz there's they're like chasing each other on bikes and things like that. Um But those aren't I don't know if we should even talk about that cuz those aren't even in the cut that we're going to show. Yeah, well in San Diego. Yeah. But we but, can talk about it. Yeah, you can talk about it anyways because I am you can blame me during during your talk because I made I made you cut the film shorter. <laughs> um but uh talk a little bit about that, about getting action shots like that with with the iPhone. Yeah, so we had a couple sequences which you don't get to see at San Diego, but hopefully in some future release of some form or maybe some other festival. Um, you can see the longer version of the or film. Or on Netflix, a, you never know. Or, or, yeah, or Netflix or iTunes or mm-hmm. wherever we end up releasing it. Um, we'll, we'll release both versions. Uh, and I do really like the shorter version. I have to say it's, you know, it, it works really well as a 15-minute version and it works really well as a 35-minute kind of pilot presentation. But in the in the longer version, this the film is bookended by a couple of bike sequences, um, which my uh, my... One of my filmmaking partners that helped a lot on this film told me that these were going to be really hard to shoot. And, you know, you never worry about that when you're writing it. You just figure it out later. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the film opens with the two main characters, Alex and Zach, racing each other to a convenience store on their bikes. And, um, the, you know, they race down the street and th- that's pretty much the scene. Um, so it's, you know, logistically, it's how do you film this? And you think about how would you film it if you had, uh, you know, access to unlimited equipment, you know, you would, uh, you'd probably have a car um, pacing the actors with cameras in it. Um, 
you know, you might have uh, like a helicopter for aerial shots or something like that. Obviously don't have any of these things. What I did have. No helicopters? <laughs> I, I know. It's surprising. <laughs> Next time. Um, but what I did have was I did have a convertible at the time. And so I got in the back of the convertible. We opened the roof and then I just sat in the back of the car and we drove down the street. We had, we found a street where there was only one entrance. It was a dead end. Um, so we could go down the street and then the actors could stop and then we could start over again. We didn't have to worry about traffic. Plus awesome. no one was home at the time we shot this, which was great too. So anyway, I hopped in the back of the convertible my friend drove and I just filmed out the back of the car. Um, so it worked really well for some of the longer shots of the actors, you know, racing down the street. And then for the close-ups, we needed close-ups of the actors, you know, on their bikes, of their faces to get their reactions out. And when I planned it, I was like, oh, no, I'll strap a GoPro to the either, you know, to a helmet or to the handlebars or something like that to get some cool reaction shots. Well, I never got the GoPro. <laughs> I, I never bought it. So, you know, go to plan B. What You know, filmmaking is the mother of invention, right? So. Right. I just stuck the actors in the back of the convertible and shot them really close up. And so, and just had them kind of, you know, mine, like they're riding the bikes. Cool. Really, they're just in the back of my car. You can't even tell because of the way it cuts together really well. Um, but yeah, that's I kid you not, guys. You really can't tell. You, you fooled me. Yeah, you can't tell. And then, you know, the end, uh, the whole ending sequence, um, we just, you know, grabbed that basically some of the shots of the same day and then, you know, we had shots where there was more kids in the frame. Um, the tricky thing was, so we have part of the sequence um, at the beginning in this first bike race sequence is that Zach, who is the best friend of the main character, Alex, uh, he he wins the race because he darts through traffic. And, you know, Alex is too timid to, to dart across traffic and has to wait for the light to turn green. So, all right, <laughs> how are you going to have a kid run through traffic? Now, go back to your, you know, filmmaking school and, okay, we're going to have stunt drivers or we're going to close down the street and everyone's going to be coordinated and we're going to have, you know, lots of safety. Paramedics know, on you know, side. Police and yeah. paramedics and all this stuff. Well, you know, sometimes you don't have all that stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> what we did was we just, we waited for the light to be red so he wasn't crossing against traffic. He was actually crossing with traffic. We just made sure there was no traffic in the shot. And then we added the cars to go across traffic in later as special effects. Cool. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And did, and did the same thing at the end. So they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be, you know, going across the street and the, you know, traffic stops suddenly, I'll just say. And, um, you know, to get the traffic stopping suddenly, we just, we added some cars in digitally again. So very, very visual cool. effects help out a lot in some cases. Just goes with that saying, if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I knew someone that was good with effects and he ended up, he colored the whole film and added some of the effects shots in. So, and he was able to do that, you know, for us for pretty, um, very quickly and you know not kill our budget so you know and then you were resources (laughs) you were um well I was gonna say the other thing you know with the the paramedics and everything you definitely don't want to have the the parents watching um (laughs) this whole scene right um 
you want <laughs> I want to uh share with our listeners the heart of this this story. Uh would you mind going into a little bit about that? Why why what is it about the story that meant so much to you to to do everything you did? Because we were just talking about the will and the way and all that. What was it about this story that made you go all out for it? Yeah, well I mean I I maybe first to just uh kind of summarize what the story is because people may be listening to this thinking like what is this movie like what is this firefly and who's this alex guy um so this is a coming of age tale of love and loss in the new millennium i didn't come up with that but a good friend of mine did it's very catchy um and that's what it is it's it's uh you know it's about this um young man named alex and this is his first uh, serious girlfriend you know he starts the summer thinking he's going to reconnect with an old an old friend, someone he's had a crush on for a long time, and he ends up, you know, meeting her really good friend, which you know he falls in love with, and they start having a relationship. And you know, as things do, drama happens, and you know, friendships are tested. And you know, it's just a really good universal story that I think everyone has either experienced or can relate to. So, to answer your question of why was the story meaningful to me, I mean, I think you know me personally and a lot of people I knew went through situations very similar to these. And I think, you know, when you think about what stories speak to people, you want stories that people can relate with, you know, and when we started writing the story, um, you know, at first it's like, God, does anyone really want to relive this awkward period of life? <laughs> you know, cause it's, it's not, does anyone really want to relive that? And it's like, yeah, you do, especially for people in my generation, because like we were this age in 2001, like my friends and people I know, you know, so this, this really speaks to us. And, you know, it also is interesting because it speaks to people of other generations too. It's like, oh yeah, you know, you can identify, you know, everyone I've talked to that watches the film is like, I know these people, you know, either I was Alex or I was Zach or I was the little sister or, you know, I was, you know, Lucy or Nina or one of these people, like the characters are universal enough that everyone can identify with someone. You know, I think that's why I really wanted to tell the story is because I wanted to tell something that people could relate to and take something from and, and just be entertained by. It's uh, personally for me, the nineties uh, were, is probably the, the my favorite era if you could call it that um <laughs> music uh the way it was the turn of the century you know mm -hmm. um you know uh before the uh what we were all I mean we weren't supposed to be here after 1999 remember <laughs> um I don't know if you <laughs> sure remember did. what that new year's was like but <laughs> it was crazy um But yeah, it was a really cool era. It had great music. And then at the same time, we didn't have cell phones yet, really. I think we mm -hmm. were still using pagers, right? No, not even, yeah. yeah you you yeah. had cell phones. You did have cell phones. But they weren't very I, I popular uh, yeah, like they I mean, are today. No, not at all. It was just kind of a, something to call home. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I don't, I mean, did they, did they have text yet or? I think very limited, but I don't know anyone that was really texting, certainly not in 2001 when this movie was set. Yeah. And that's the other thing, right? Like what was, what were relationships like before there was texting and, you know, Tinder and mm -hmm. these other things that, you know, I probably don't even understand, <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, what, what was that like in this kind of simplistic era? And at the same time, you know, we chose to set the movie in 2001 because, you know, if, if this was to be a longer, you know, some kind of series or television series, like that sets up, you know, a lot of interesting stories from that time period um, to kind of start with this one. So, you know, it's an interesting time for these relationships to be starting because if you, if you think about having this as a series, like a progression, a time, you have a lot of interesting events that, that come up, right? I mean, mm-hmm. 9-11, you've got the, you know, the uh, Facebook coming out, the iPhone coming out, like a lot of interesting technology things that could that play into people's MySpace. lives. MySpace. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever that is. Napster. <laughs> right, right. Napster. Yes. Yeah. Um, I remember everybody used to do, do torrent um, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And, and websites. Websites were completely different than they are today. They were, right. They were mostly all text and they were – um, the colors of the backgrounds. Everybody's website had all played with the colors of the text because there really weren't that many images on the websites. And yeah, it was a trip, huh? Um, mm-hmm. So when you were filming your film because it was set in a different time, did you worry about like, hey, don't make sure you don't get that car in the shot or anything like that because it wasn't from the right era? I mean, did you work on anything like that or... Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely try to be conscious of things like cars. And I'm sure, you know, if you went through with the fine tooth comb, you could probably find some that, you know, we missed. Um, but things like cars and you want to make sure there's no flat screens in the shots. Um, you know, you want to make sure that the music, the music was another huge thing too, right? Um, because not only do we have the soundtrack, the score of the movie, um, but we also had songs that, you know, were meant to be evocative of pop songs from the time period. So, you know, we're not going to shout out for a Britney Spears song or an NSYNC song, but how do you have, you know, how do you find music that makes you feel similar to the way those songs feel that doesn't sound modern and sounds of that time period? So that was a challenge too, but also getting the right sound for the music. Um, You know, and here I have to obviously point out that our composer, uh, Alex Ellis did a really great job in finding the right sound uh, for the movie because I think the music, you know, the music sets really the makes mood. It, right, sets it sets the mood. It, it it establishes the right themes. It does everything you know a good soundtrack should do. Yeah. Uh, but it really puts you into that time period. Yeah, you know, the, uh, did you watch Boyhood? You know, I have not seen that yet. Uh, there's so there's uh, the songs in that movie. I think whenever they changed, uh, were it's following one family through, you know, in real mm-hmm. life almost, right? Um, yeah. And every time they go through a change, right? You know, like oh, now it's it's a couple years later or something like that, and you see the the kids grow from little kids to teenagers, and you're going through that, and the the times. Um, if you just close your eyes, you can hear that you can see the change through the music that they they selected through it. It was it mm-hmm. was really cool. Um, so yeah, definitely your give him another shout out, a big shout out. Your yes, Alex, great job. I mean, there's so many people I could give a shout out to. I mean, I have to give a big shout Actually, out to. Yeah, do, go ahead and do that and, <laughs> and and name your your actors and your crew now because uh, they definitely do deserve. I mean, 
I don't know that they're all going to come to San Diego, but at least maybe in this podcast, you can give them a little shout out. Yeah. So our main cast, um, Ron Ricker, who plays Alex, um, he actually won an award from the festival for this performance. Um, first acting award he's ever won. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very young, so I'm sure he'll win a lot more. But wow, he, congratulations. Yeah, obviously carries the film. Um, Lacey Gatling, Kaylin Malley, um, Anthony Giordano. So they make up the main four folks you see, um, the, the four kids. Um, Adeline Howitt, her first movie, she plays the little sister in the movie, uh, does a great job. <laughs> yeah. And then there's uh, Sam Williamson, who plays the father. Um, unfortunately, we had to lose Sam for the shortcut, but he's a really great actor. And he actually just uh, he just released his own film uh, called Burying Mitchell, which uh, is already getting into a bunch of festivals as well. So um, we had a great cast. And, you know, that was something we worked really hard on is finding the right people because chemistry. You know, Kansas, yeah, chemistry is really important in this movie. And, uh, you know, we've gotten some really good reviews saying how strong the chemistry is from the actors. And, you know, actually that was really interesting part of the process is, you know, when we did auditions for the actors, we, um, I think we had two or three different people for each role. And so, you know, we had them audition on their own, but then we had them audition in pairs as well. So we had, you know, an Alex audition with a Nina, and then we had a different Alex audition with the same Nina, and then we had, you know, the, the reverse of that. So we tested different combinations of actors to find the right group of people that would work together, that would be believable as friends and as you know, romantic partners uh, in the movie. So, and, and you can see the results of that because you know, the film works because the cast is so strong. Oh, and definitely. I right? you could see that right in the in the first couple of scenes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you feel it right away um you know and they you know they continued that which is great too like you know i've seen that they continue to hang out like outside the film like they're still friends you know they cheer each other on on social media and they have good relationships which is great and then on the crew side sorry go ahead well i i was just gonna say i i think social media does allow people who go to physical real life events together to continue that i think it there is some magic in that that's for sure yes absolutely and then on the crew side um so it's some really great people working on the crew side of the movie um Beth Wickman, really good friend of mine, produced a few of my movies in California. Wasn't able to produce this one, but she helped so much in the writing of this movie in terms of just being someone to bounce ideas off of and to help make the script as strong as it could be. I mean, we went through 10 drafts of the script, so we wanted to make sure the script was really, really good. Yeah, that's all. (laughs) Um, We wanted to make sure the script was really good before we put it into production, so we worked really hard on it. Um, So could not have gotten the movie done without her. She gave great feedback to me all along the process. She really helped me refine the cut that is going to San Diego. Um, so huge partner there. Uh, another partner of mine, Grant Turner, uh, I made a bunch of films with him and he helped on this project, just kind of doing everything. Uh, first AD, uh, he gripped, he was a production. I mean, he did everything. <laughs> we had, um, we had a great makeup artist and, uh, wardrobe coordinator named Natalie Sutton. Uh, so she made sure the actors didn't look, <laughs> weren't freezing to death when we shot them on a 25 degree 
day outside in Kansas City. (laughs) Kept everyone looking really great. Um, And then, you know, Alex, I mentioned earlier, uh, did the soundtrack. He did a really great job. And we had a colleague of mine named Derek Sellens who did the uh, special effects color work. And um, another colleague of mine from California named Beth Hubbard who did all the sound design and mixing. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that, that work on on a film, as you can imagine, as, as you know, yeah. and uh, we had a lot of really great people that worked on this one. And you, you also edit, ed, did the editing on the phone, right? So, um, yeah, interesting story with that. Right? I did. And the reason I did it, so the iPhone lets you shoot in 4k, mm-hmm. really high resolution, um, which you don't really need to do. Um, and I just saw an article today about there's no reason to shoot in 4k still, but you know, I did it because I could. And, you know, when I went to edit the movie on my computer, my computer wasn't fast enough to edit the video. I've, I've so had it's that like, problem. <laughs> shoot, what am I going to do? And then I found this app on the iPhone called Luma Fusion, which is a pretty high end editing application that you can use on your phone and your iPad. I was like, well, I'll give this a try. And I started playing around with it and it worked. So <laughs> I well, ended up on I've, my phone. What I've done before, uh, I had that problem. But actually, it wasn't even shot with a phone. It was shot with a DSLR. It was a project I worked um, on with, for somebody else because I do that sometimes too. Um, and um, <laughs> I, as soon I kept telling this guy, I was like, "It's it's gonna slow down." You know, my computer. We're talking about all these clips and everything. And so, because um, I brought it into iMovie, um, what I did was I used QuickTime. So mm. I opened it with QuickTime, and then I exported it from QuickTime in full HD, and then brought, you know, trimmed just what I needed, and then brought them into iMovie, and then everything was fine. Yeah, I guess for me, I didn't want to lose the quality because some festivals want a digital cinema package, oh, it was, which you have yeah. to have at least 2K resolution to make mm-hmm. one of those. So I'm like, uh, I can't, I can't downgrade the, the res, you know, the files. Yeah. But it was shot in 4k and it still looked great. Is Yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So, and then when I exported it, it was still, it was still regular and, uh, he submitted it into film festivals and it, it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, so Lum, what was it called again? Luma, Luma Fusion. Luma Fusion. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen that all over the place, but for some reason when I went to word it out, I got tongue-tied. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and then you said you had somebody help you with the colors, uh, coloring and everything? Yes. And so then you brought it, you exported it from that editing app into something he could work with? Yeah, I mean, I just edited, I exported the files um, just as you know, the highest resolution right. possible I could give him, and then just you know put them in a Google Drive folder, and he downloaded them. He did the work on his end, and then sent them back to me. Cool, awesome. And then yeah. the last thing you did was do the, the audio sweetening, as you call it, right? Yes. So we had a couple different things we had to do on that. One is we had to re-record a bunch of the audio um, through ADR on my computer. Through, you know, through same same sound setup that the, the film used, um, we had to sync all that, and then our sound designer had to take all the audio and add in you know background effects and smooth out all the transitions, um, you know all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, you know, making sure the audio sounded all the same levels. 
Um, so that was done in a different application, uh, Pro Tools. Cool. I remember Pro Tools from college uh, uh, <laughs> on the radio. Um, the The reason why I wanted to make sure that we mentioned all that is because a, a lot of people, you know, it's about shooting it with the iPhone and, but there's, there's some other processes to complete your film, uh, to get the quality of a film, like what you guys did. Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, I, I think we got a bit technical at the beginning of this, but I really wanted people to know, because I would want to know, like, you know, what are all the different tools that you use on this? Cause it wasn't just the phone, right? Um, there's lenses, there's stabilizers, there's lights, there's microphones. And then, you know, right. There is tools, software, you know, in addition to what's on your phone, not saying you can't there, you know, if there's a will, there's a way, right. There are, you could find a tool to do this kind of thing on your phone. Uh, we just chose to go a different path. Plus you, you know, and, and this is the thing that, I mean, I teach workshops and things like that. And, I do tell people, you know, you, you can know all this stuff that you just talked about right now, but if you don't know how to structure a story and you don't have a good story, um, none of that is going to get people to talk about and think about and, and, you know, your film in the, in the long run. Right. And that's why it doesn't matter what you shoot on. It doesn't matter if you shoot on an iPhone or if you shoot on a DSLR or if you shoot on, you know, a flip phone from you know 2008 <laughs> or right. whatever you know it doesn't matter right it, the story is what matters right if you have a good story if you have good performances if you have good lighting it doesn't matter what camera you shoot on and the performances are also key um that goes hand in hand which is one of the reasons why when i when i talk to actors uh why you know especially really good actors that that can choose and be a little choosier and they'll and they'll say that the reason why they chose to be a part of a film that was shot with an iPhone for the first time ever which they wouldn't have considered before was because when they read the the screenplay it was it was an awesome story and they wanted to be a part of that so yeah. Well, and it's funny because none of the people that were in this movie knew that I was going to shoot. I didn't advertise. I didn't say, hey, we're shooting this movie on an iPhone. It's just, they showed up to set and here's an iPhone. <laughs> so it's a, this is what it is. Right. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Now I want to play a little game with you. Um, and uh, it's that, that shout out 20 second game. And oh, let me turn on my timer. Guess what I'm using for my timer. I hope it's an iPhone. It is too. It's, it's my iPhone. Uh, what I want to do is for you to give a shout out uh, to maybe some 90s teens, uh, things that typical 90s teens used to do, which teens today probably don't do or even know about, maybe. <laughs> what do you think? Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So I'm going to give you 20 seconds to do that. And I'm going to take care of, I'm going to do all the hard work. I'm just going to push the button here and time it. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Ready? Are you ready? I'm set? ready. I'm ready. And go. All right. The first thing, I don't know if this is a competition to say how many things you can name, but riding bikes, you never see kids riding bikes anymore. Uh, Playing Nintendo 64, because it doesn't exist anymore, uh, is another thing. 
Um, just being outside, you never see kids outside anymore doing anything. Um, uh, yeah, didn't make it very far. <laughs> I'm going. I'm actually. I'm curious now. What was the, the other, the last one you were gonna you were gonna mention? You know, I was thinking that as I was saying it, and I, I don't even know if I got that far. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, it, it was a little loud, the alarm. <laughs> um, awesome. Hey, give me, uh, or give our listeners, I should say, um, a reason to, because we just talked for almost an hour here, um, and we talked about all this hard work that you did because obviously this was not a piece of cheesecake. <laughs> um, so if you don't mind, give our listeners a real reason, something that they should, they would say, you know what? It's all been worth it for you. Why it's been worth it to me to do this. Yeah. To okay. turn your story um, into a film and then shoot everything with a phone. Yeah. Um, before I do that, I have to give one more shout out to my wife and my son, um, who without their support, I couldn't have done any of this. So really important to have good support system. Have to give them a big shout out as well. How old um, is your son? He is 11 months old. Aw. He's almost, so he's going to be a year old. He in, is. In April. Awesome. Yes. I won't ask you how old your wife is. That doesn't matter thank you or or me or you (laughs) um you know your question uh why is it worth it um if you are really passionate about something and you really want to do something um just seeing that through from beginning to finish is the reward right saying i'm going to do something whatever it is and finishing it i mean there's nothing i don't think there's really anything that's more satisfying than saying like I accomplished what I set out to do. So it doesn't matter if it's, I'm going to make a movie on an iPhone or I'm going to you know write a book or I'm going to draw a painting or, you know, whatever it is, right. If you say, I'm going to do this and you work every day on it or however often you can and you finish it and that's the reward. And hopefully there are more you know rewards beyond that. Like for us, you know, we've, gotten a lot of accolades we've gotten in some film festivals we've won several awards for the film we're going to your festival you know so those are all great rewards as well but you know the great thing about filmmaking i read a really great quote once when i was first starting out and it was this guy who's making movies and he was like you know what i don't care if i'm sitting in my living room by myself with a tub of popcorn at the end of the day i'm watching a movie that i made myself and that's reward enough and you know i think i think the the ends justify the means basically and just accomplishing what you set out to do is 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 an amazing thing wow you can't see the grin on my face that was a beautiful answer um and and yeah it is inspiring especially if it's almost like we were talking earlier about the challenges and why we take those challenges and the more experiences like that, that we take, you know, when we see them through, um, it does make it all worth it for sure. Absolutely. Not to get too soft here, but, um, I'm really looking forward to, to meeting you in person and to you sharing more of this, um, in our film festival. 
Um, and uh, where can people, uh, we're going to add, you know, uh, the, the link on the notes, but, um, and we're going to write an article about this as well. But if you don't mind sharing that with our, our listeners, the Facebook page for the film. Yes, it's facebook.com slash AFF movie. Do you have any other, uh, like any websites or anything like that that they can go to or? No, you know, I don't currently, you know, I thought about putting up a website for the film and, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, do people really still do that? (laughs) (laughs) Everything we have is on social media. It's on Facebook. So, you know, we may eventually have a website for the movie, but right now it's, it's on Facebook. So you can find the stills and trailer and all the latest news and you can connect with, with me and with the other people that worked on the film, um, through our Facebook page. Yeah. So for our, all our listeners go to AFF movie on Facebook and, um, make sure you give them a like. And speaking of liking, although I don't really like to, but, um, we're going to have to say goodbye now to everybody. Say goodbye. John. Yeah, Susie, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please uh, check us out when we're in uh, San Diego in April and hope to meet you guys all there.